The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Father's Day was this past Sunday. I hope you had the chance to spend time with the ones you love. In this episode, we talk sports broadcasting, lessons learned on the sidelines, and the Joe Nuxall Miracle League's effect on one man's perspective. Let's do it. Sports are an integral part of my life, specifically officiating. I've met a lot of interesting people on deck and on the sidelines. From referees to evaluators, coaches to administrators, and players to fans, each one has a story to tell, and that's a foul podcast is the place to tell it. Each episode, we'll dive into personal and professional lives to see what they can share to make us all a little better tomorrow. I'm Chad Packer, and this is That's a Foul. Hey, thanks for jumping back in with us. Been away for the last couple of weeks on vacation and catching up on some work around the house. And uh, I got to tell you, I've spent some time listening to a few different podcasts and kind of taking some notes on how to help this one be a bit better, I hope. So maybe we'll give that a go here. In today's episode, we've got my buddy Tyler in studio. Tyler and I go back many, many years. Uh, We've kind of drifted in and out of each other's lives, but uh, he's always had a line open for me if I needed to talk. And I hope he feels the same way. It's probably best to provide a little bit of context. When Tyler and I sat down for this conversation... There was a segment of the show that I've actually cut and I'm going to produce in its own standalone episode. So towards the end, you might hear something that sounds a little out of place, but hopefully I've edited that pretty cleanly. So let's get to know a little bit about Tyler in quarter one. So welcome to the studio. It's my basement. (laughs) I think I'm going to do a lot of these. Yeah. But uh, I th- yeah. think this one is going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate that. It just be. because, you know, we've we've got a lot in common. Yeah. And then we've got a lot yeah. in common, uh, especially given Father's Day being yeah. being yeah. Sunday. Are you guys one? You guys aren't one year into your into your marriage. We yet, are right? nine months. Nice. Nine months, actually. Uh, here in about four days, it'll be nine months on the dot. How so. is the beautiful bride? She's great. She's great. Uh, mar- marriage has been wonderful. I mean, that's my opinion on it. I guess you have to. Um, yeah. it, it only gets better. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> it has been uh, an unbelievable joy for me. I so I I didn't date a lot in high school in college. A couple years after college, I mean, it just I I was an only child growing mm-hmm. up. Right, sure. I was very comfortable being on my own. Sure kind of like my my me time that sort of thing and when you're in high school and you're not dating you say well it'll, it'll happen when I get to college right and then when you get to college and it's not happening you're like well I'll get out in that first job and you know start making some money and then and then it'll <laughs> happen and then you're out there and you're like this might not happen right <laughs> um and, and I had honestly kind of resigned myself to the point that this may not happen for me and, I, and that's okay Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was right about that moment when I, I met Paige. Ah. Uh, and, and I think that that freedom of not having the pressure of every date's got to turn into a relationship and the one, right? I, I think when I let that go, that's when I could finally be myself. I could mm. let my guard down. It, it wasn't a performance in, in that moment. I, I was who I was. Um, and when I met Paige, I mean, it was just 
instant comfort from wow. from the moment I met her. Um, she's a she's kind of like me in that she's a she's a hustler. I mean, she works hard. Uh, she's she's a clinical care pharmacist at, at UC Medical Center, and she comes home and tells me about her day, and I'm like, you know, this this admission gig really isn't that hard. <laughs> like it's it's not that difficult. Sure. She's she's in the ICU, and you know, wow. uh, I'm I'm out talking to kids about college and and calling baseball games here and there. Um, but she, I, I think we related to one another in that we were both um, very ambitious and, and very driven. Um, but at the same time, she is, she's just fun to be around. <coughs> she's, it, it's easy to, to relax and kind of just, just have that, that level of comfort that I hadn't really experienced in any other relationship. So, so yeah, uh, proposed, she's, she was the, the baby of four girls. So her, her poor father, he had, <laughs> we were literally, um, <laughs> we, the, one of the sisters, the third sister to get married was getting married. And I, and on the weekend of their wedding, I went to him and said, so, uh, we were having a conversation about the wedding and he's like, yeah, you know, it'll be, be good to, to have, you know, have the wedding and, and everything. And I said, well, to, to add to your list, <laughs> so, how you feel about one more? Ah. And, uh, and it's, it's just been, it's been great. I, I could not, could not imagine, uh, my, my life without Paige in it. It's, it's just been fantastic. Ah. Yeah. That make me cry. Yeah. Makes me so happy to see people happy. <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And you guys have a dog, Penelope. We do. Yeah, she's out of control. Mm. So I, I, uh, I've always been a, a planner, right? And Paige has wanted a dog for ever. She, she wanted wanted a dog. She's she's always been around animals, loves them, that sort of thing. And uh, I told her, well, well, we'll get a dog when we have a house, and then we got the house. And I said, well, we'll get a dog when we have a fence, right? And their birthday comes rolling around, and I said, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna surprise her with with a, a puppy." Um, didn't have a fence. We had the house, but no fence, that sort of thing. And uh, it was the like probably one of my favorite moments of our relationship. Was she comes home? She was working second shift, so three to midnight, oh right? So I'm keeping this little puppy like awake until she gets home, and I'm waiting in the kitchen. And, and it was funny because she comes in, she sees a dog, starts crying, and she immediately the first thing she says is, "We don't have a fence." Like <laughs> I said, "Well, we'll figure it out." Sure. Um, so it's it's been trial by fire for us. We got a golden retriever, thinking like. Oh yeah, it's gonna be like all the golden retrievers you see like on the commercials. It's sure. gonna be well behaved and sure. loyal and and Penny is uh she's rambunctious. I mean, just she was chewing on everything, <laughs> not loyal, not well behaved right out of the gate. She has grown into a fantastic dog. Um and, and now is is just comfortable around the house, comfortable around us. So we finally got to that point. But there there were some moments early on where we were like you know, having having kids can't be this bad because because <laughs> this is this is uh, is keeping us up at night and things. But but yeah, she's uh, she's a great little pup. She's been a good coworker since I've been working at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's been nice. Yeah, it's fun to a kid. You know, we're out front. You know, and Molly, she's incredibly well behaved or yeah. whatever. I can remember coming home from water polo practices and Maddie and Jenna flying around the corner, Dad's home, and Chaya, that's how Jenna would say Chaya, Chaya, and they'd give me hugs or whatever, and and then Molly would come down and say hi, and now, you know, still Molly, Molly still comes and says hi, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's happy to see me. It's, yeah. it's a, you know, it, it, nothing can be more true. Yeah. Well, there's two things. Never trust a person who doesn't like dogs. Amen. 
and be the person your dog thinks you are. Yeah. All right, as we dig into quarter two, we're going to talk about how Tyler jumped into the broadcast booth and how that's helped shape his view of the world. I know you're into sports broadcasting. How did you how did you get into that? Mainly got into it because I was such a horrible athlete. Um, <laughs> so so I you know from an early age love love sports, but also from an early age knew that there was no way that this was in my future. Um, so I, I I mean we're talking early on like T ball. I'm I'm like the bad kid on the T-ball team, right? <laughs> so it's just it's not a, a pleasant place to be. And then by the time you get to coach pitch, like it it's clear like we're gonna put this kid in left field. Like we're just gonna leave him out there. He'll he'll be fine. Played um, played youth soccer and was was pretty bad at that too. My dad even like coached the team one year, and I still got less playing time than than everybody. Um, the the final kind of nail in the coffin was senior year. In high school, I try out for the golf team just because my my you know best friend Chris is trying out. He's got a legitimate chance to make the team. I have none whatsoever, and uh, actually quit about five holes in, and decided right around hole twelve. And I'll start playing again. So the guys the guys in the foursome just gave me eights on all, all those. And and the sad part is we joked about it and we're like the eights probably better than what I legitimately would have had. So. Again, just love sports, but knew that it's it's not in the cards. So I'm I'm a student at Miami Hamilton freshman year, and I'm walking down the the stairwell in Mosler Hall, and there's a there's a flyer, you know, up on the up on the bulletin board that says, interested in becoming the voice of the Harriers, uh, you know, and they had a little pull off ticket, so I I pull that off and I call the athletic director, and uh, Vince Richardson calls me, and he's the, the AD at Miami Hamilton. I go into his office. And you know Miami Hamilton, the athletic department there, it's it's a pretty ragtag operation. It's it's not you know it's not the Oxford campus. It's not any of those. So uh, I go in and he we talk for a couple minutes. He hands me of all things a hot dog advertisement. So it's you know uh, Oscar Mayer, the official hot dog of the Miami Hamilton Harriers, or something like that. So I I read this ad. And he goes, all right, yeah, you got the job. So here, you know, volleyball's here and basketball, and then we'll have you go down to Foundation Field and do baseball. And uh, I had never announced a game or anything before, and I, I got my start. I did, I did like the last volleyball game of the season and then started with basketball. And uh, it, it just it clicked. I, I felt at home behind the microphone. I, I had always watched. <laughs> I think the, the benefit of, of not being able to participate, <laughs> you get to watch a lot, right? And I had grown up. You know, listening to, to Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall and and in the Cincinnati area and really nationwide, you you've got no better role models than than those two when it comes to to broadcasting and um, just progressively started doing more and more gigs and uh, and and started announcing different sports and then uh, the the Oxford campus my junior year they were looking for a fill in guy so I got to go up and shadow Scott Shriver who was the uh, is still is the the one of the best PA announcers I've, I've ever heard grew up listening to him. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting courtside at Millette hall wow. and, and he's showing me the ropes, just a, a cool experience. And my, you know, my mom and my dad and my grandpa are sitting in the, the stands right behind me. Um, so yeah, that, that eventually led me to the Hamilton Joes. I announced there for, for nine years, um, got to be, they won the, the league championship their their second year, uh, in, in the league, which was unheard of. And I, I actually was doing play by play during the, the championship game up, up in Granville. 
Um, so it's it's been a it's been a fun ride. I've I've had a blast doing it, um, and it's something something again. I, I just feel very home at home behind a microphone at an athletic event. Like that's that's more comfortable to me uh, and less anxiety inducing than actually being being on the field. So, sure. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. My brother and I, we were we were just on vacation, family vacation to Hilton Head. Nice. Uh, the COVID central of the world, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't don't go below the the Mason Dixon line no. right now. Yeah, <laughs> and don't go to Harbor Town. Yes. Yeah. Don't go to Harbor Town because yeah. you're going to get destroyed by that yeah. golfer that whatever <laughs> jerk Justin something rather <laughs> my least favorite golfer. So anyway, so we were we, we were we were talking about how so both of us are are motorcycle guys. Um, not, I'm not a motorcycle guy. I cut my ponytail off a long time ago. It was like fourth grade. It was a rat tail, actually. But um, we're talking about how, you know, uh, riding a bike. I have a point here. I swear to God. I, right I believe you. Yeah, it takes me a lot. Sometimes I start a sentence, <laughs> like okay. Michael Scott said, yeah. right? Sometimes I start a sentence. I have no idea where it's going to end. I just hope I catch up to it. You know? But um, we were talking about how uh, riding motorcycles has taught us how to be better drivers because you have to take in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I can imagine the way that you take in the world mm-hmm. being a baseball announcer, because I got to tell you, there's not much happening between the time the catcher catches the ball right. and the pitcher pitches it again. Mm-hmm. So I always marveled at Marty Brenneman, how yeah. he would just notice a, a boat yeah. floating to what kind of barge it was, <laughs> or he would just, it, yeah. it, he did it seamlessly. Yeah. I can imagine. Do you, do you find yourself like just not even at sporting events, just like walking through mm-hmm. Disney or Disney guy, you know, walking yeah. through and you just notice you pay attention to the entirety of the show is the way I've, I've always described it. And one of the things that, that, you know, I would say Marty Brenneman's probably the best play by play announcer that I've ever listened to. If you ask Marty Brenneman, he would say that Vin Scully is, is the best. And I, and I think that one of the things that, that Vin Scully did really well was the storytelling aspect, right? He could, he could be at a baseball game, but he could talk about, other things outside of what was happening and draw those in and marty and joe did a lot of that as well i mean you you know they would talk about elvis they would talk about tomato gardens they would talk about golf when eventually joe was able to get marty to to start playing golf and there's a there's a comfortability in announcing baseball that in my opinion you don't get at other sports and and honestly i I think some announcers are terrified about the thought of announcing baseball games because of what you just mentioned, the lag time, right? You, you've got to fill that somehow. For me, baseball has been more comfortable than other sports because you don't have as much time to do the storytelling. You know, basketball is so fast-paced that if, if you're announcing a basketball game, that, that person listening to the game, number one, they, they don't get as full of a picture of the show because you don't have time to talk about all the details. You don't have as much time to spend on the crowd or the student section or, or the coaches and, and what's happening there. Baseball, you've got time to talk about those things. The other reason that you see baseball announcers becoming beloved in their communities like Marty and Joe were, like Vin was in, in L.A., is because you get to know that person because there is that downtime in between the pitches during a pitching change, when a, a coach comes out to the mound, whatever it is, they're able to talk about their personal lives. They're able to joke and let their guard down. They're able to relate to the audience more than a basketball or a hockey or a football announcer would. I, I think that's why in Cincinnati, um, 
you know, Mar- Marty and Joe will, will be talked about long after I'm gone. But a guy like Dave Lapham, God love him, it, 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 he's not going to have that same respect just because he announces a sport that doesn't allow people to get to know him. And, and there's also the longevity, right? Sure. You know, Dave Lapham's in your, in your ear for three to four hours uh, on a Sunday. Marty and Joe were in your ear for three to four hours a night, every night, for six months, hopefully yeah. seven. Sure. And uh, to me, that's why baseball has always been the most beautiful sport to announce. Um, terrifying at times because you do. Th- there's that bit of, of self consciousness that you get where I, you know, one of the things that I, I learned from from Joe and Marty and listening to them is that dead air, what most people would call dead air, is actually okay mm. in in a baseball game. Let people soak up. The ambient noise. Let them hear the guy selling peanuts. You know, let them hear the crowd go wild after a certain hit. Um, but there is that moment of self doubt when you're calling it. Like, dang, should I be saying something here? Like, should should I be talking about something? Um, so one of the things I think I've gotten comfortable with over time in announcing baseball games is every now and then just just let the air speak for itself. And uh, and that's that's kind of my my diatribe on on announcing <laughs> baseball. That's nice. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Everything that we do kind of shapes our view of the world. What's interesting, and in, in talking to some folks, I, my initial hypothesis was that your job shapes how you referee a water polo mm-hmm. game. What I'm finding out is how you ref a water polo game shapes the way you do your job. Yeah. Do you feel like, as an admissions counselor mm-hmm. at Miami, your broadcast experience your ability to pay attention to the entirety of the show mm-hmm. affects how you talked with parent i mean talk yeah. talk a little bit about one affecting the other yeah one of the things i learned from marty brenneman early on is there there's a persona aspect to this right mm-hmm. and marty would be the first to say that he's he's got the biggest ego of, of anybody in in my opinion he's earned it right sure. but he he had a personality you could go to anybody in this community and you could say, give me five words to describe Marty Brenneman, and people would give you a list of ten. I mean, that he, he was recognizable. You knew his style. You knew what types of things. And I think some of the best announcers that I've seen, Vin Scully, Gus Johnson, those types of guys, they, they have this identifiable brand that is tied to the organization but more or less tied to them. For me, broadcasting has done that exact same thing. I represent Miami, but I also represent myself and, and what I put out there. And it's taught me to find kind of my own my own personal style hmm. in how I do this. You know, I when I started working at the Oxford campus, uh, I, I tried to do things a little a little differently from what I've had seen some of my colleagues do. Uh, I would go into an information session, and it was it was very much a performance. I, I was very much mm. paying attention sure. to the the stage elements, sure. the the way I presented myself in terms of the way I dressed, and and just my 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 personality, the way I delivered jokes, things like that. And it and it does feel like. Anytime I'm in front of a, a group of students, parents, whatever it is, I, I'm on stage. I, I really look at it that way, and I think announcing has taught me how to uh, polish that stage character a little bit more and, and adjust it. And, and it has dramatically improved me paying attention to the, the show elements of what I do. Uh, and, they, and they've worked really well together. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it's empowering to hear you say, 
I'm going, I have to be me, yeah. especially if you're going to be on stage or you're going to be announcing, you can't be right. unauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. If that's the word. Dis- Irauthentic, non, un, mis- misauthentic. I think, it's in, I think it's inauthentic. Not misauthentic. You yeah. can really put any prefix ahead of anything. And I mean, you just can, make it a yeah. word. Yeah. Again, <laughs> lessons from Michael Scott, <laughs> the Michael Scott grammar course, right? <laughs> In this quarter, Tyler's going to talk about perspective. Uh, we're talking about how that's been shaped by his volunteer work with the Joe Nuxall Miracle League, by talking to fans on the sidelines as a soccer referee, and through his experiences behind the mic. You're affiliated with the with the Miracle League. Yep. The that's a foul. It really spans the globe, as yeah. you know. We've got a listener. International foul. Yeah, I mean we've we've got a listener in over two states now. Yeah. So the Miracle League. With, with, without knowing Greater Cincinnati, uh-huh. just talk a little bit about the Miracle sure. League, what it means to you, how you pay it forward. You know, okay. I know you're close with Kim Nuxall. I right. mean, just any anything about that because I think you know, we get into some community service and mm-hmm. just all around your story because yeah. I know that has a, an incredibly large impact on your life and service and things like that. Yeah, so important for people to, I guess, know. I mean, we've, we've referred to, to Joe Nuxall, you know, throughout, but – Joe, youngest youngest guy to ever pitch in a major league baseball game, pitched in an inning at the age of 15, uh, goes on to have a long, illustrious career uh, as a, a pitcher, mainly for the Reds, um, and then a, a broadcaster for, for you know, 40-plus years. Uh, lived in Fairfield, worked in Cincinnati, was born in Hamilton, so, so really a, a Cincinnati guy through and through. And one of the, the legacy projects when Joe retired, uh, it's – a pretty cool story, and Kim tells it better than I do. But uh, Kim Nuxall, who was Joe's son, um, also pitched in the minors for a couple years, and then went on to be a, a PE teacher for for thirty plus years at the elementary school level, and really focused on character ed. They they both were the types of guys who just wore their hearts, and st- and Kim still does wear their hearts on their sleeve, right? Very emotional, and they care about people, uh, and it's authentic, it's genuine. That's that's who they are. So they see this HBO documentary on this Miracle League where, uh, you know, a, a girl in a, a community, I believe in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, was um, playing baseball in a wheelchair, didn't have the ability to, to play in a lot of regu- regular leagues. So the community comes together and they, they build this Miracle League, what they call it, where it's a, you know, rubberized baseball playing surface where, and accessible where, where this young girl could play. Uh, it brings Kim to tears. He shows the DVD to his dad. Of course, Joe, you know, brings him to tears because that's the type of guy he was. Um, and they decide we're we're going to do that here in Fairfield, uh, and we're we're going to make that happen. So they they start building the the Miracle Leagues. How I get roped into all of this is um, I'm announcing for the Hamilton Joes at the time. Starting in 2009 was when the team started. And the Joes are named after Joe Nuxall. So it's in his hometown. Really cool concept. The, the logo, actually, the, the, the Joes, the J and the Joes is his very distinctive oh, wow. J. I mean, cool. it was just a, a cool concept from the start, and I, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. So um, start announcing and, and inevitably get to know Kim, Joe's son. And Kim, that, that first year, 
says, hey, we do this, we do this Nuxy Bash. It's like a celebrity softball game. Uh, we'd love for you to come out and, and be the on-field announcer. And I was like, absolutely. So I go out, and at the time, the field had not been built, right? So we go out to this field at, um, I think at Harbin Park in, in Fairfield. And all of a sudden, I start to see a segment of society that's always existed that, that I've been blind to, mm-hmm. really. Um, I'm seeing people in wheelchairs and walkers and 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 other you know things to help them kind of physically adapt trying to play baseball Mm -hmm. and they're playing on a dirt field that's got rocks that could inevitably do damage to these these thousand dollar wheelchairs and i'm seeing family members spend 30 or 45 minutes trying to trying to just get their kid out of the van right and I remember, so I'm, I'm announcing this game. I'm, I'm doing my typical thing where I'm out just <laughs> acting like an idiot, you know, making a fool of myself and, and trying to get people to laugh. And afterwards, I just go and I sit my, my notebook down, and I sit the microphone down, and I'm, I'm just sitting there off to the side. And I start to get kind of emotional because it's like this, this didn't just start today, right? This, sure. this has been happening for a long time, but I've been so wrapped up in myself that I, I just didn't see this. Kim comes up to me and and uh, I, I just I kind of bared my soul to him and I said, Kim, I, I didn't know this. I didn't know this happened. I didn't know that there were leagues like this. I didn't know. And I said, and I, I I basically I just I feel like an ass because uh, because I, I I didn't know this was here. And he, you know, in typical Kim Nuxall fashion, comforts me you know, starts to tell me his story. And, and then he tells me, you know, the cool thing is next year we're actually going to have a facility that we're building just down the street that uh, is going to be a rubberized playing field. It's going to have video boards. It's going to have scoreboards. It's going to have concessions. It's going to have stadium-style seats. It's going to have all these things where the these kids, these players, feel like all-stars. And they're not going to have to worry about safety issues they're not going to have to worry about getting hurt. All, all of these things, we're going to make that, that dream come true. And sure enough, man, a year later, I'm emceeing that same <laughs> celebrity softball game, and uh, we're, we're at the Miracle League field. So there's in Fairfield at, uh, at Waterworks Park, if you go back, kind of drive through the cornfields, which is such a, a cool concept, um, about a three million dollar facility, so two rubberized baseball fields that are entirely handicap accessible. Um, there are video boards and and jumbotrons that essentially would would mimic anything you'd see at a, a major league facility. Wow. They do you know sound effects and slow mo <laughs> replay sure. cameras, um, and the facility has slowly expanded. Um, we added actually, so we added some playground equipment that's wheelchair accessible. Pretty pretty cool thing. We we added a it's a merry-go-round essentially that is flush with the ground. Oh, wow. So wheelchair can go right onto wow. it, and then they can spin <laughs> it around. Um, bocce ball courts for Special Olympics. We added those, and then here just about a year ago. Uh, opened the the Skidmore Sales Mini Golf Club, so we have an 18-hole accessible uh, golf or mini golf course, um, and that has been 
an unbelievably rewarding thing to see that come to life. A couple years in, I, I was announcing and, and basically agreed. I, I told Kim, I said, any event you need me at, I'm there. Uh, like, this is the thing I want to spend my time doing. And a couple years ago, Kim approached me and said, how would you think about joining the, the board of directors? Mm-hmm. It was easiest answer I've, I've had to give, right? It didn't take any time. I said, I want to I want to be there. I want to be involved. So I've uh, been on the board now for a couple years. I, I do pretty much all of the uh, our, our Miracle Ball, which is our big fundraiser that we host at Jungle Gyms every year. I do the, the live auction with uh, Bob Herzog from, from Local 12. And um, it's, it's honestly, the, the question I get all the time is because I have to stand up there and I'm just asking people for money. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we go with the big ask. We our, our goal right now is to build the, the Hope Center, which will be an accessible indoor facility, basketball courts for Special Olympics, things like that. And I stand in front of a crowd and essentially ask, anybody want to make it happen right now? You want to, anybody want to write that million dollar check and let's get it done. Right. Um, nobody's yet taken us up on that offer, but it doesn't bother me asking for it because, I believe so much in what's happening there. I believe so much in the legacy that that's been created for Joe. And and at the end of the day, um, if you think you understand athletics, I challenge you when things get back to normal, go down on a Saturday morning, sit in the grandstands, and watch a game. Just sit there, take it all in. It will absolutely bring you to tears it'll change your life. Um, the reason I, I have pulled back, so I, I don't do as much announcing as I, I used to. And I, at, at least for like high schools and, and college level stuff. The reason I pulled back, the more I got involved with the Miracle League, the less tolerant I became of abusive parents in the stands, mm. Coaches who act like you have to live or die by the end result that you see on the scoreboard. Um, I I got really tired of those things. A couple years ago, I was announcing games at a, a local high school. I was I was their basketball PA announcer. I got so disgusted by the comments from the parents and the spectators stands behind me. So I can't do it anymore. I said because. I've got I've got families down at the Miracle League who are driving over an hour every Saturday morning to to have their their kid who's in a wheelchair or who's got some kind of debilitating disease. I've got them driving over an hour to just come and let their kid play baseball for forty five minutes and they don't care what the score is. They don't they don't care how many hits their kid has or how many minutes their kid is on the field. But yet I've got parents behind me at a high school basketball game who are calling officials every name under the sun, in some cases chasing them like through through a tunnel, right? And I've got them irritated that their kid's not shooting enough, that their kid's passing too much. And I just I lost it. Mm. And I said, I'm I, I don't I don't have fun trying to entertain people like that anymore. I, I have fun entertaining people at the Miracle League who appreciate the little things in life more because they don't necessarily have the big things all the time. Wow. That's man, the perspective you bring. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. It it changed me. The honestly, when you go to the miracle league, when you see a game, it, 
it does just constantly change your perspective. And, and the one example I give, just to contrast, so I, I was I was a soccer, I refereed youth soccer sure. games sure. starting in, in middle school, tons of money. Yeah, money. I started out at eight bucks a game, oh my man. God. If you'd have invested that it. instead yeah, of putting it into Starburst, <laughs> imagine. So I I used to officiate, and, and I was the same way. I, I had more fun officiating at the, the lower levels sure. just because – I could get to know I could get to know coaches. I could you know be more of a teacher. I think out on the field, you yes, you would call a foul, but you'd sure. go up and talk to the sure. kid and you'd try to say, "Hey, this is why I called that," so so we can correct it, right? My my second year officiating, I'm 14 years old, right? And there's a uh, girl who just runs with her arms out like this, and she'll just you know she'll knock anybody over, and I. I said, I, I'd called probably the fifth foul on her, and I said, hey, you, you've got to stop doing that. And I was trying to instruct her. Her mom interpreted that as me, like, basically criticizing her daughter or whatever it was. The, the mom chases me out onto the field. And I, I kind of looked, and I'm like, "What? What are you? What are you doing out here? Like, you're supposed to be over there." And and had to had to throw a parent out as wow. a 14 year old sure. youth soccer official, and and the age range on that league was um, six and seven. Just to give you an idea. Big okay. time. Yep. Big time. So it's a scholarship on the line. Right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Like her her development hinges on on this game. So many years removed, I'm contrasting that with going to the Miracle League and. We have a family there that has um, five special needs children, and we are not talking. Um, we're not talking minor developmental issues. We're talking wheelchairs, severe developmental issues, where there these these players are going to require assistance for their entire life. They have adopted all five wow. of these special needs children, right? These are parents that have made the decision that we're gonna we're gonna serve, we're gonna love people, and this is how we're gonna do it. So I just I think having that, seeing that type of seeing that family show up, and and contrasting that with what I see going on in youth sports and high school sports, all those things. I I've only got limited time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna spend my time with with people who get it. Yeah, and. And I'd I'd much rather be down joking around at the Miracle League fields than I, I mean this sounds silly but sitting sitting in a in a booth calling a professional game where people are are acting like everything hinges on what you see on the scoreboard. Um, so it's it's changed me quite a bit. Uh, I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't expect it, but it's it's I needed it. Let me tell you one more thing about officiating. I wanted to mention since you're since we kind of talked about that and and just related to leadership that I wanted to make sure I, I talked about. Um, so officiating youth soccer, right, and refereed with a guy named Joel Sackenheim, who a couple years older than me, um, always kind of the guy who just did things uh, differently. He, he marched to the beat of his own drum. Uh, he, he wore a... To match the the yellow and black, you know, striped soccer official sure, shirt. Right. Yeah. He wore a a Pittsburgh Pirates like bucket style hat, like the old, oh, like yeah. the old, you know, the old school baseball hats. Yeah, like nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Floppy oh, hat oh, we're, thing. No, we're talking not that one. 
we're talking like the old hats that were worn probably like when baseball first started oh, late sure. 1800s right yeah. the, those old school hats so i remember he's a couple years older than me he's been reffing for a few more years and the, and the first first couple games i started doing with him we get to the point where it's halftime and we're we're officiating youth soccer games so probably at this point age 10 11 somewhere around there and he says, all right, well, let's go over to the halftime. You know, we got five minutes. Let's go over to the, the spectator's side and ask them if they have any questions. And I said, huh? Like, are, are you sure you want to do this? And he goes, he says, I do this every game. Wow. It, it creates this level of trust with them. They, you know, many times they will not have any questions. But in the event they do, we answer it. Sometimes we agree. Sometimes we don't agree, that sort of thing. So the first couple times we do this, I'm a nervous wreck. That changed everything for officiating hmm. about me. Uh, and that was the only reason I did it for as long as I did was every game we went over to the sidelines and we would start on one end and walk our way down to the other. And we'd just walk down and say, anybody got any questions? And over time, you got to know these parents. You got to know who they were. And, and on occasion, you actually had a real teaching opportunity where – Parents would come up to you and say, you know, you guys are doing a great job. I don't have any any questions about what happened in the game, but I don't understand offside. Can you give me a one-minute explanation <laughs> sure. of what the offside rule is? And we would be able to walk them through that. We would, Joel and I refereed a couple state tournament games together. And I remember the first time we would do this, the parents were like just amazed, <laughs> right? But to me, that's what officiating should should be. And, and I've watched enough officials at higher levels officiate poorly uh i ironically when i'm broadcasting i i tend to be a bit critical of officials um only when there's an arrogance that they always have it right sure. that they always have the correct right. answer that right. they their their calls can't be questioned some of the best officials i've seen at every level are the types of guys who will go up to coaches and say this is why i called it if you didn't see it that way we're standing at different points on the court or whatever it is. So maybe, you know, maybe I got it wrong. Um, that, that got instilled in me pretty early on just by being able to, to go over to the sidelines. And if you got any questions, then I'm, I'm somebody who can be questioned. Hmm. Uh, so, so, and I, and I think that taught me a lot about leadership and things. Um, just, just realizing that I'm not always going to get it right. And that every moment is a teachable moment. Um, so, so Yeah. That's a good story. You know, I would, I would hope that I would be able to do that and come across as genuine with yeah. genuine humility as opposed to, yeah. does anyone have any questions that I can tell you the answers to? Right, and that's what to... Joel did such a good job of making it a fun thing and, and getting to know people. Um, and it, it, made, it made officiating fun for me. I didn't worry about parent-coach disagreements, anything like that, because I just, I just got to know people. And, uh, and, and didn't, didn't come off, you know, I, I had my bad moments officiating and I still cringe thinking about the times where I was arrogant and I was, you know, acting like I had it all right. And the job is of an official in any sport is not easy. Um, but you make it a lot harder when you act like you got it all figured out because you're immediately setting the bar that I got to get everything right a hundred percent because I'm always right. Right. If you go into that game and, you have fun with it, and you you go in with the approach that 
yeah, I'm probably going to get most stuff right today, and I'm not going to misinterpret the rules, but it's a judgment call, and I'm probably going to get a couple things wrong. Man, the stress is just gone, and, nice. and, it, and it, I think it, it goes to the crowd. Um, and I've had my share of moments with officials that, uh, as an announcer, I've, I've actually, I've been, I've, I've not been thrown out yet, but I've, they've threatened me, which is hilarious. Uh, so I'm, I'm announcing a basketball game my first couple years at Miami Hamilton, right? And the joy of announcing at the lower level is that you also have other jobs that you have to do. So you typically you have to do the music, which okay. is, is fun for me because you kind of get to set the tone and things like that. So we're I'm announcing this game, and these officials are just basketball game. They're they're not good. They're, it's it's that level where you know these guys have been officiating in this league for thirty some years, and and there's a reason they haven't been asked to officiate at a higher level. They make a bad call. They get together and they huddle up and they start talking. And I thought, you know, perfect time to play the Jeopardy final question song. <laughs> so we play it and everybody's laughing. And this one official who's just, just an egotist, I see him kind of look over at me and I'm laughing. I mean, it's, it's funny at this point. He comes out of the locker room early during halftime and just tears me up one side and down the other. It says, I'm going to incite a riot. I'm going to, you know, do all. our athletic director, came to the guy who asked me to read the hot dog, right. comes to my defense and says, there's no rule that says we can't do this. The Oxford campus, the hockey officials come out on the rink. They play the Looney Tunes theme. Every time these guys <laughs> come out on the rink, you need to you need to be able to not take yourself so seriously and, and understand what's happening here. Um, and, and this guy, this official backed down. Nice. And, and I, had, I had him multiple times after that. Uh, at one time at a baseball game where the uh, – <laughs> This this might have been my favorite. It's with the Joes. I'm doing the music and the sound effects there as well. And we've got great sound effects. We've got, you know, one if foul ball goes back and uh, glass breaks and then there's a car alarm afterwards <laughs> and that sort of thing. So he the the home plate umpire makes just a, a call that I'm I'm still trying to figure out. And I've got the old Bob Euchre from Major Leagues, you know. Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. <laughs> so I play it. The guy takes off his mask, turns around, and points up to the press box and says, you do that one more time, I'll shut this whole thing down. And I'm like, here's a guy who can't even enjoy Bob Euchre, for God's right, sakes. Right. Like, this is a guy who can't just appreciate the moment and have, have some fun with it. Um, so those were always my, my least favorite officials, and I think you talk about announcing influencing your job. Those have always been my my least favorite leaders to serve with are the people who can't can't have fun with themselves, can't understand that they're gonna make mistakes. Right. Like and, and just and just poke fun at it. You know, I, I've been the first guy to um when when I announce, I mean I, I poke fun at myself when I screw stuff up and, and things like that. And it just I, I think it just makes you more relatable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The span between saying you're humble and yeah. being humble yeah. is Typically, typically measure. people who say they're humble are not right. because the, the people who are, who actually have humility are so humble that they're not going to, they're not going to say that, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, so it's the kind of a chicken or the egg argument, I guess. It kind of is. You know. It is.
you had texted me that you were excited about the rapid fire I questions am. fourth quarter you know water polo you that. you have always been in my opinion like the best guy for just random things that you never think about <laughs> and I, and i often like you and i'll have a conversation i'm like how did chad even think of that so that's it's, right it's it's a perfect way to end <laughs> i appreciate that you know it's a blessing and a curse <laughs> It really is. I have no idea where I go sometimes. I really don't. It's a happy place, though. And you're so, always inquisitive. I, do. I remember. I mean, always inquisitive. I do my best. <laughs> All right. So uh, it, these are kind of rapid fire, but okay. maybe I'll dive in if I'll it's exciting. I'll try to give short answers. No, no. You don't have to be clipped at all. Okay. It's just pretend there's a clock ticking. There actually is a clock ticking oh, okay. in the background. Um, I edit that in later, though. All right. Ready? Ready. <clears throat> Off we go. It's spring break. Where would you like to go for a week? Ah, probably family retreats always been Gulf Shores, Alabama, on the beach. Vacation spot. It's comfortable. It's reliable. That's probably where I'm at. Nice. Yeah. If you could sport a mustache, oh, I can't. A beard, okay. A fu man, or Ugh. be clean shaven without any repercussions, which would you choose? This is not so I can throw my genetic capability to grow these things yes, out the window. Whatever okay. you want, and nobody's going to question what you're wearing. The beard, ah, yeah, a big one or just well, uh, I so I've like gone... George Michael, or are we talking like a guy that's an axe thrower? <laughs> <laughs> the, the axe thrower that paints quite the picture. I mean, I. So I've gone quarantine first two months. I didn't shave at all, and it's just a bit. It's a bit patchy in okay. areas. You get a you get a little different coloration, no. you know. Yeah. Um. So I I think I'd probably go with the full just just beard and and to be able to just go, boom boom. Yeah. Like from that to guy looks like he's been in the wilderness. Yeah. Like to just be able to surprise people. That's always fun. Okay. So yeah. If you could be a fly on the wall at any historical event, what would it be? Oh my gosh! I know you're a, you're a history buff. Oh, can I pick two flies? Two flies. Okay, you right. can. So uh, special circumstances here. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. First <laughs> is um, first is to be a fly on the wall next to. George W. Bush on September 11th. Wow, sure. To me, that like that's the moment where you see somebody tested at the highest level, right? Uh, and regardless of politics, I think you can you can find an interest in that. The second would be uh, opening day of Disneyland next to Walt Disney. Wow. Like when you read that story about him creating Disney, like that guy put his entire life savings, everything on the line, to be able to be, I don't know, I guess flies can't be inside heads, but if they could, like to to understand the pressure that was going along with that moment, like, and, and that's a that's a showman at his finest, right? Like I've always told people it's, it's kind of a stupid thing. My, my dream job is <laughs> a circus ringmaster, honestly. Wow. Like there's just that, that showmanship that goes with it that you can't, you can't find anywhere else. And I think that's why I enjoy the announcing and broadcasting and, and Walt Disney was that that type of guy. So yeah, probably probably right there next to him to see that happening. You could probably pull off a top hat. I would, I'm not, I'm not I would gonna think lie. so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you got the smile for it. <laughs> True or false? Yeah, Tyler, 
Miami was a university before Florida was a state. That is true. It's on t-shirts. It's on bumper stickers. They stole it. The Floridians are thieves. And they stole... That's what people... People don't see the parallels, right? Daytona in Florida. Named after Dayton, Ohio. Right? Rich. Miami Valley. It's... Come on. We own the rights. Darn right you do. Go Red Hawks. Or Redskins. Were you a Red Hawk or a Redskin? I was a Red Hawk. Okay. Yeah, name change was in... 97 or 98, okay. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Boneless or traditional wings? Traditional. So you're on the road a lot? I am. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate your ability to operate the waffle maker. Because I'm, I'm, I'm at about a 2. I'm good. You're, so you're, I, I would good? say I'm an 8.3. Okay. Um, because the the key to the the Hampton Garden Inn, or the, the Hampton Inn and Hilton Garden Inn, like waffle maker, is... Don't wait for the beep, right? You you can't wait for the the loud piercing okay. Okay. noise to go off. You have to predict when that is going to happen, and in your mind, you got to flip it and extract the waffle about seventeen seconds before that's going to happen. Coolest city to visit for two days only? Mm. Probably Denver. Ah. I love Denver. Well, yeah, my city. Yeah, it is. That's what I hear. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, five thousand two hundred eighty feet for those of you math fans out there. That's right, and uh, it's it's just there's you can I feel like you can just be a different person in Denver, right? Like yeah. you can be that guy who sits in your basement mm-hmm. all the time, but then you can go to Denver and you're like, of course I want to hike, of course yeah. I want to kayak. So sure. yeah, that's sure. that's Denver. Uh, favorite book? Now this is tough. Yeah, these are this is this Favorite. is high pressure. I gotta narrow it to one. One, bro. That's it. That's all you got. One. You've you've put me in yeah. a in a very I, very hard corner. Point. To I get want out you of. to I want you to walk out of this oh, house man. and feel like you 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 don't even know who you are anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I have to, probably the book that I, mm, the book that I could read probably over and over again. It would probably be John Grisham, A Time to Kill. That uh, that always, I I read pretty much anything Grisham puts out, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that that was the first one I I ever read. And, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's probably my go-to. Yeah, those are those are good. Yeah, you turn me on to this. How how do you pronounce a man called? I believe in my head it's Ove. Okay. Yeah, that that's a that's a honestly that's probably right up there like number yeah. two or three. Just read that. Yeah, a man called Frederick. I think it's Bachman, okay. maybe Bachman. I don't Could know, be. but uh, yeah, fantastic read. Read that. A lot of tears. A lot of that tears. One. That's a. It was, uh, it was rough. Yeah, he hits you with that that twist that you don't see coming about a third of the way through, and it yeah it'll that's yank just, on every heartstring you have. So good. That's a that's a. Close favorite, though. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I appreciate that. Thank you. Glad to recommend. I passed it on to people already. This podcast is sponsored by... Yeah, it is. Backman, it should be. A Man yeah, Called right. Obey, the movie. Thank you very much. Did you know there's a movie version, but it's in another language? So you got to watch the subtitles. Oh. like Parasite. I haven't seen it, but it's out there. Is it like Parasite? I heard that one has different subtitles. Yeah, I haven't seen that Is that the one that won mm-hmm. the... I don't remember. said it was yeah. good. Uh, as a baseball fan, mm-hmm. you're in the stands now. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a lemon chill, a snow cone, or a Dippin' Dots guy? Dippin' Dots is an abomination to ice cream, so okay. I, I don't. Well, I'll take that out. We'll take that out. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Uh, lemon chill, snow cone, snow cone, snow cone. Yeah, 
Good for you. Lemon chills are good, but I've I've never been a big lemon guy. Huh. Yeah. You don't say. I'm more berry. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> like that. yeah. Could Penny, your dog, yeah, do better at Plinko than most? I've seen the video. <laughs> She could. She was. Here's the secret about Plinko that I think nobody has figured out. So picture the board in your head, right? And you got the Plinko logo at the top. Yeah. Have you ever noticed there is in that logo, there is a Plinko chip? Yeah. Seen it. Like, I think think it's by the K, maybe, or by the, maybe by the N. Okay. So I've not been on the show yet, but my theory is that they have designed that board. Where if you were to put that chip, and nobody knows this, right on that spot, that it's going to go in the $10,000 slot every single time. But you've got these idiots up there running, I'm going to put it all the way over on this side and then see. Yeah. Yeah. I got a feeling there's a trick in that game that they've designed it where if you put it right on top of that, you don't drop it high, not too right, low, but right, right on right that on top chip, of that. Okay. it's going to fall in every time. So I'm waiting. I'm right. waiting to either get on the show or hopefully... With your international following, mm-hmm. somebody will listen to this who gets on and can then go crazy. That's like Brad Meltzer stuff right there. <laughs> that's that's insane. <laughs> wow. Final question. Uh, last one. Yeah. Can you give us a quick double play call? Maybe a six four three mm-hmm. or something like that. Get 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 into that. Get into that voice. Okay. Bro. All right. Taking us out with that one. All right. Votto at the plate for the red legs. It's an 0-2 count. Ball hit up the middle. It's to the shortstop, and he's on to four, then over to three, and that's a double play that ends the red legs inning. We'll be right back after commercial messages from our sponsors. Notice that I chose the Reds to lose in that scenario just because I've had so much personal experience in my life of them losing Yeah, that it's easy to, to replay that. Yeah, it, it was it, not unlike a man called Uva. Is that what you <laughs> go with? That's what I go with. It's huh. Scandinavian. Okay. You threw, a, you threw a plot twist at us. Yeah. You know, you thought yeah. it would have gone like uh, Brandon Phillips to Dave Concepcion to, <sighs> to Tony Perez. I could have done that. Maybe Joey Votto. I'm I'm an efficient worksman. I I just I do it quickly. Sean Casey. You know, you know Casey. Dan is... Dan Dreesen. Yeah, I mean Casey's one of my all time favorites though. But if if I'm gonna call a double play with Casey, he's probably gonna be on the losing end of that one because ah, that boy could not run. No, I saw him at him at Kings Island once. Did Took you? His hand, just said, "Hey, appreciate Great what you guy. do." Great guy. I if you want, I I interviewed him for the Joes. He came into town nice. many years ago. And uh, we did an interview right, right in front of the, right in front of the third baseline at Foundation Field. Sat there talking. He's a great guy. Yeah, great guy. Nice guy. Just they, one, they one of the all-time best. They the, the mayor. mayor. They do. He was like always chat people. Both he and and Guy Fieri. Those are the two people who have been called mayors that have never been elected. Fun fact. <laughs> I won't charge you for that one either. That's three PSAs of I one know, episode. I know. Well, that's it, bro. That was good. That's all I got for you. That was fun, man. (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) I loved it. I know what you said today had an effect on me. So if you get to the other side, when you get to the other side, God says you can point that person. I'm one of them. That's that's for sure. So I just, I'm, I'm super stoked at who you are and who you've always been, but who you're becoming and super glad that you, you married up as we all do. (laughs) And that, uh, you know, life is life is bringing you what you deserve. So. Well, I appreciate it, and you've always been a uh, a tremendous role model for me. I just i I have such 
vivid, fun memories of the times that you and I have been able to spend together. You've always just, uh, you've been that guy that I, I knew I could rely on in, in the best and, and worst moments and who I could talk with openly. And, you know, you, one, one story I'll tell about you, cause you probably don't talk about yourself a whole lot on here as much as you should. But, uh, a couple months ago, you, you just wrote me a handwritten letter and, uh, I keep that right in my, my desk drawer huh. and every now and then just, just get it out and, and read it. And, um, It's just, it's just good to know that there are, are people out there that you can relate to and identify with. And I mean, you and I have been through some, some tough moments in our own lives individually, but to be able to find, find comfort in being able to share that with one another, it's, it's a blast. And like I said, I, uh, just some of my, my funniest memories too are with you. Uh, it's, it's just been, uh, it's been a friendship I'll cherish for a long time. Yeah. Well, here's to more lunches. Absolutely. Not getting kicked more. out of breweries. Do you remember that time you almost got us kicked out at Rivertown? I think that I was. do. The guy because was a you jerk. were uh, you were obnoxious. I was. He was talking about yeast, and I was talking about something else because I was more talking, listening to him talking. The about sad himself. part is, I think you were actually talking about something he was talking that about, time, but yeah. we were past that. Yeah. And then, I mean, I felt I felt reprimanded. Yeah. Like we we. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I've not done. I don't think I've done a brewery tour since then because no. I'm so scarred by the Yeah, time. it's just, what a jerk. What he a jerk, was. get out of here. Well, you, you get over yourself. Pat. There goes that sponsorship. Well, he's the, right. I know, he's <laughs> one of those Antifa people out there probably at this point. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right, bro. This was fun. Yeah, it was. This appreciate was you. Thanks for listening today. As I said a few episodes ago, this podcast is certainly water polo centered, but it isn't only for those in our small circle. Our next episode is going to be a one-shot conversation about how the death of Tyler's father has impacted him. I'll share that story and what he's doing to keep his father close to him as he walks his path in life. It's going to challenge you to reflect on your perceptions of mental health, and it's going to challenge you on your interaction with other people. I hope you can join us again soon. Till next time, y'all. Be good to the refs. Shout out to our friend and fellow referee Adam Carroll for That's a Foul theme music. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend where to find us and follow us on your podcast service. As always, you can find show notes and other topics covered on today's show on our website, tafpodcast.com. <laughs>